Hello and welcome to From Balloons to Drones, the official podcast of BalloonsToDrones.com, where we explore the development of military air power from the earliest days of flight until today. I'm your host, Mike Hankins. And I am your host, Brian Lastly. Well, I think it's safe to say that when most of us think about air warfare in World War II and the experience of those air crews, the first thing that comes to our mind is probably not what happened to those who got shot down and then what happened to them on the ground. Of course, some of them became prisoners, some escaped, some make it back. But some meet a much harsher fate in the form of lynching, either by German officials or civilians. And these events are the subject of a fascinating new book. It's called Terror Flyers, The Lynching of American Airmen in Nazi Germany from Indiana University Press. We're happy to be joined today by the author, Dr. Kevin T. Hall. Kevin is a postdoctoral researcher at the Ruhr Universität Bochum, Germany, and a former postdoctoral research historian at the Defense Prisoner of War Missing in Action Accounting Agency in Honolulu. Kevin. Thank you so much for being on the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, let's start off by just asking what drew you to this topic? Like, how did you get started on this project in the first place? Yeah, so I, I've always been very interested in, in the Second World War, um, especially history of aviation. Very interested in, in flying myself as well. And after consulting with my doctoral advisor at, at CMU, uh, Professor Eric Johnson, I got to learn more about his father's experiences, actually, as a downed airman in Germany during the war. Um, and so I decided to investigate that in the experiences of downed airmen. I was especially drawn to the contact between down airmen and locals and overall the flyers' experiences prior to entering a PUW camp. Um, generally, in the historiography, what's been written about down airmen is, for the most part, you know, in memoirs, personal experiences in the camps. But the stage prior to that, so prior to being captured and, and identified as a prisoner, has kind of been overlooked. And so there's like this middle phase of between when they're in the airplane and when they're in a camp. And it could be, you know, a matter of minutes, a matter of hours, or it could be months. And so much happens in this, this time frame. And after doing some initial research, I came across an Austrian historian, Georg Kaufmann, um, in his book, Flieger Lynchjustiz, so Flyer Lynch Justice um, from 2015. It was extremely insightful. Uh, so he looked at this topic of the mistreatment of downed airmen in Austria and Hungary during the war. It piqued my interest. Uh, in particular, well, one one fact that he or one point that he he made was that he discovered, based on his his analysis, there were more cases of mistreatment of airmen in Austria Hungary than there were in, in Nazi Germany, which I found quite shocking and surprising, given the fact that you know when you look at the statistics, there were up to seven times more airmen shot down over Germany than, than Austria-Hungary. So that really, you know, piqued my interest and is the reason why I, I you know, started to look into it more. It's, uh, that's fascinating. So then tell us what lynch justice is and how it was applied to Allied air crews. Yeah, so lynch justice, it, it was one of several terms that the Nazi regime used um, to designate violence committed against downed Allied flyers. Others included Volksjustiz, Selbstjustiz, basically people's justice. And in certain circumstances, surprisingly, even Zunderbehandlung. So, you know, the, the well-known special treatment that uh, until now has been completely overlooked with regard to POWs, allied POWs, particularly Western allied POWs, I should say. And so the violence represented a collective anger against allied airmen who symbolized the air war that wreaked vast death and destruction throughout continental Europe, um, but especially of course, in the urban centers in Germany. The term can be kind of misleading at times. Very few cases actually involve, you know, actually hanging of airmen. There were rumors of this, but I've never actually found any, any actual evidence of that. But it, it could represent beatings, executions, 
um, the airmen didn't necessarily have to be executed uh, for, for such cases to be considered lynchus deeds. So there's a number of really interesting, kind of hard to read at times, narratives of these events throughout the books, and they kind of take different forms depending on you know the specific instance. I was wondering if there's any particular instances or narratives that really jumped out at you as indicative uh, or that just kind of moved you in some way. Yeah, so I, I looked at hundreds of these cases and it's difficult because they're all so shockingly similar, like in the process and in the way the violence unfolded. Um, you know, most often shortly after a flyer was, was captured, word spread throughout the area and, you know, a large group of locals would assemble and to, to see the enemy. You know, they were intrigued. Um, but most of these citizens and locals were surprised at you know, how normal these young American men looked. You know, they, they didn't fit this portrayal of the, these bloodthirsty child murders that, you know, as they were so portrayed in Nazi propaganda or in the rumors, you know, spread throughout the, the entire country. Often it only took the one, you know, hostile individual of, the, of these, these groups to turn things into a very murderous mob. It could even be a wrong gesture expression or look from an airman as well that could provoke such such acts of violence. There's one particular case, though, that I, uh, I'll, ne- I'll definitely never forget. It occurred in France um, in May of 44. And so I, I very briefly mentioned this in the book. It was a German Luftwaffe doctor who had he was attending to a downed American flyer. And the flyer's death was never officially determined. But the war crime investigators believed that the doctor had executed the, uh, the flyer with a lethal injection of some substance. And afterwards, the doctor decapitated the flyer's body, um, boiled the skin and soaked the skull in hydrogen peroxide, and then he ended up keeping it on his desk. And as he was being sent back to Germany, as the Allies were progressing in the West, he ended up sending it back to his wife as a souvenir who kept it on the mantle in their house. And it just, just things like this just... It blew my mind. Yeah, in the in the end, this doctor he ended up getting uh, or receiving uh, ten years imprisonment for mutilating the remains, but they couldn't prove if he actually killed the guy or not. Yeah, so that's one specific story, and there are there are dozens, if not hundreds, in the book here. But what type of numbers are we talking about? How many Allied airmen uh, were victims of some form of lynch justice? Yeah, this is uh, this was one of the, the hardest questions I, I tried to answer in the book, and it's still it's very difficult to answer because the dark figure is just so high. In the relatively limited historiography on the subject, there was a German study done in 2004 that estimated that roughly 350 Allied airmen, um, so you know British, American, Canadian, and so forth, experienced Lindsjusdits in Germany, um, and this kind of became the standard. Uh, referenced by historians when it ever was referenced is quite limited for over a decade. Yet there was no significant research that actually verified or refuted this. And so this was one of the main uh, things that I, I looked into for the book to try to determine how accurate was this 350 number, because it just seemed far too low, especially given Hoffman's study. And Hoffman uh, reported that in Austria and Hungary, there were roughly 600 Americans that experienced Lindsay's of whom around, I think it was 130 were executed. And so Hoffman estimated there were roughly a thousand cases committed against American airmen in Europe during the war. Well, by analyzing the post-war crime trials, uh, the so-called flyer trials, which I can get to in more depth later, analyzed 179 of these trials, and there were 310 American airmen 
that were included in these trials. Over 70% of them were executed. So if the historiography is accurate that there were a similar number of British airmen, they experienced similar treatment. So then we're talking a conservative estimate of 600 in Germany. But then you have to take into consideration these trials largely focus on the Western zones of occupation. So that's roughly half of the country. You know, how many hundreds went unidentified, unknown, plus there's the rest of Europe that is not being taken into consideration. I've got cases in uh, Italy, France, Benelux, um, Eastern Europe. They're everywhere. And so I kind of came I came to a conservative estimate of around 3000 cases of allied airmen in Europe. And I just finished up a second book on actually kind of a part two of this this topic that compares the, the mistreatment of downed airmen in Europe with Asia. And it's shocking not only how similar the process was in, in the role of perpetrators and the type of perpetrators and their actions and the motives, but also the numbers were startlingly similar. You mentioned that, you know, this is a really hard question to answer, this thing about numbers. And the other question that your book really seems to wrestle with throughout is, you know, the issue of motive. Like what is causing these people to do these kinds of acts and you explored a number of different potential answers to that question. And one of them is propaganda. And you mentioned propaganda a minute ago. Can you tell us a little bit about, one, what was that propaganda like? And what role did that play kind of in how these uh, acts played out? Yeah. So the era was, was a significant theme in Nazi propaganda, which you know focused on portraying German women and children as the main targets of Allied air crews. As the home front served you know, a vital counterpart to the battlefront, the Nazi regime closely monitored both fronts in a conflict that changed the dimensions and understandings of total warfare as we know it. The regime described Lynchistiz as, as an appropriate way to treat the so-called terror flyers, terror flyers. And airmen, especially Americans, uh, represented the key symbol of this the fierce air war. While party magazines and newspapers focused uh, mainly on updating readers of the exaggerated number of Allied aircraft shot down and the devastation inflicted by aerial bombings, satirical magazines often focus on attacking the Allies' motives, their alleged inferior culture, and airmen's characteristics and personal characteristics, which often incorporated a racial component as well. So while propaganda indeed influenced the treatment of downed airmen by the German population, the degree of influence is obviously very difficult to determine. There was one telling example. It was a newspaper article uh, by the propaganda minister, Joseph Goebbels, in May of 1944. And that kind of, you know, from this point on, the air war intensified, but also um, so did this lynch deeds committed against airmen. And in this article, Goebbels not only commended civilians and, and German citizens in general for their prior participation in mistreating down airmen, but they actually encouraged individuals to seek revenge without any concern of punishment. And so through propaganda images, articles, speeches, the Nazi regime sought to teach the new mark of otherness of the enemy and redefine new acceptable wartime boundaries. And this violence toward POWs also sent a powerful message abroad, especially to the allied nations, that such violence was widely sanctioned and had public approval, of course, in hopes of trying to intimidate flyers flying over over Nazi Europe. It's clear that many Germans participated in these acts of lynch justice out of, out of a real personal sense of rage. And, and it seems to be either driven by, you know, the radicalized political ideology or indirect reprisal to the, the bombing and strafing attacks that's going on. Is there something unique to air warfare or is it this particular air war in World War II 
that inspired these um, these acts, or is this coming from somewhere else? Do you think? So the totality of World War II was certainly a factor in in, in the relaxing of boundaries of moral acceptability, uh, as well as individuals' physical and psychological possibilities. Um, World War One, for example, you know, remained a constant reference point for military strategists, soldiers, and civilians. Most of the Nazi leadership believed that a, a home, the home front would be the weakest and most vulnerable, vulnerable aspect of the war. Um, and similarly, beginning in the interwar period, American and British military strategists reasoned that air power would be the key element to winning future wars. And as the new technology allowed for an even greater disruption of the home front and could hopefully prevent the heavy losses experienced in the war, in, of the First World War, excuse me. So while the air war has become a significant characteristic of World War II being the foremost example of total war, aerial attacks on civilian populations were hardly new at the time. Yet the degree of devastation in World War II fostered by an increased intent to use any um, any method to achieve the end uh, was unparalleled. So even in numerous wars after World War II, the revenge inflicted upon down fires continued with Korea, Vietnam, and the Balkans, and the Middle East. So it's, it's quite fascinating. When an embattled civilian population is confronted with you know, the opportunity to Opportunity and encouragement, I should say, uh, to seek retribution. Many will do so. Aerial warfare has a unique opportunity to bring death and destruction of the battlefront to the home front, all the while maintaining a physical distance that also attacks the psyche of the, the civilians and local population being attacked, which then instills within them a sense of uncertainty um, and helplessness, but also fortitude and resilience and, you know, encourages them to to fight back. Um, and ultimately, the Nazi regime fostered an environment in which illegal and immoral actions could not only occur, but they also could thrive and be consciously carried out with, with zeal and resoluteness. Had the tables been turned and access pilots been shot down after bombing American cities, it is not hard to imagine that American citizens would have acted in a similar manner. However, a brief analysis of German pilots shot down over Britain reveals the contrary, actually, which is quite interesting. And I kind of go into this a little bit more in my next book, but I've only been able to uncover one incident, actually, where a British citizen was reprimanded. This was a soldier, in fact, an officer uh, for mistreating a captured Luftwaffe flyer. And with in this case, mistreating simply meant slapping or kicking him or hitting him with his, his stick or cane. I found no reference anywhere else of mistreatment like we see in Nazi Germany or in, in Asia. While there was a much smaller likelihood of contact with the enemy in Britain than in Germany, the most significant stimulus to the violence against Don Airman was clearly the consent and desire of the Nazi regime. Yeah, I think it's clear that something's different about the Nazi regime, right, in a lot of ways. And uh, along those lines, you mentioned race earlier, and I wanted to kind of expand on that because what really jumped out at me reading this book and looking at the propaganda images was how often race was a factor, whether it's, you know, the Tuskegee Airmen being referenced directly in propaganda or even kind of American racial issues, you know, domestically. Can you expand on the role that race was playing in, in this propaganda and some of these motivations? So Nazi propaganda included themes of, you know, such as the history of lynching in the U.S., the domestic social strife or America's perceived cultural and racial inferiority to Germany. And the images portrayed, for example, um, one that always sticks out in my mind is of a mob that sits two images put together on one side. It's, it's a mob that's cheering uh, at the lynching of an African-American. And then 
on the, in the next image, we see an African-American being hoisted above uh, by a cheering crowd for having come back and survived the war. But he was a pilot, and specifically in the bottom of the text, it says, you know, welcoming committee after bombing w- women and children. And so the propaganda sought to instill within the German readers the incompetence of American soldiers, especially the unwillingness of white Americans to fight, and the resilience or the reliance, excuse me, on African Americans. And the images attempted to reassert the German public of Germany's alleged cultural, racial, and political superiority. And it, was, it heavily attacked the hypocrisy of, of American democratic policies, where African Americans were good enough to fight to save democracy, but not adequate to obtain you know, such freedom in the U.S. as full citizens. And they also sought to illustrate American men as wild and murderous gangsters, killing women and children for bounty. And the wicked anger and infliction of violence was supposed to remind the German public of the lack of moral rationality that divided American culture and society from that of Europe. Further, there was images that sought to, to present the Nazi regime's war as a noble cause, rescuing European civilization. Uh, but by 1944, like I said, 1944 is a real turning point, especially in terms of this interest deeds. The air war Nazi propaganda became a symbolic representation of a new crusade um, in which the Allied airmen were sent to carry out you know, terror attacks. And ultimately, after years of, of these, of, you know, such portrayals, Nazi propaganda called for using so-called American justice, which is lynching, uh, is what they meant, uh, to co- combat downed airmen, use American justice against Americans. So you know, many of us are familiar with the Nuremberg trials of Nazi officials after the war. But you look at many of the smaller trials that included putting Germans on trial for these atrocities. Tell us a bit about how these trials worked and, and what their outcomes were. Yeah, so there were you know, roughly 500 lesser war crime uh, trials held by the U.S. and Europe. Lesser war crime trials is, is kind of what they're known as. It's, it's a bad name. It's essentially not high-ranking officials. Uh, could be civilians or, or so forth. And war crime investigators began gathering evidence on potential war crimes throughout the years before the war ended. However, the, the sheer volume and extent of crimes and perpetrators was obviously overwhelming from the beginning, um, and it only got worse as, as they uncovered more and more atrocities. So I analyzed 179 cases. They're known as the flyer trials. They were mostly held in Dachau in Germany. But there were far, far more cases opened and initially investigated, but never actually were brought to trial. That was due to lack of evidence, lack of witnesses, lack of perpetrators. One big issue is that a lot of uh, perpetrators or alleged perpetrators would hide out in East Germany with the growing Cold War at the time. Extradition was not the easiest between the uh, East and West. Often, you know, alleged perpetrators would assume different identities or individuals would simply not participate in uh, assist the investigations. And so there'd be so many dead ends and ultimately left hundreds of, if not thousands of, of cold cases. Within these 179 trials, there were 490 perpetrators charged, ages ranged between 19 and 72 uh, at the time of the trial. And at least 50% of them were known uh, Nazi party members, which is not too surprising. Uh, however, at least 30% were known um, Alta Kempfe, so those individuals who would have joined the Nazi party prior to 1933, so they would be more likely to be quite ardent supporters of the party. Um, so this suggests that the courts sought to swiftly punish perpetrators who were longstanding members of the party. While it appears that the Alta Kemper were actively involved in ordering and personally carrying out Lynch's against the airmen, 
countless perpetrators, especially civilians, were not brought to justice for their participation. Um, it was just, it was simply overwhelming. Some of these mobs, like I had mentioned before, they were reported to be in the you know several hundreds of individuals. A large percent of them women. Countless airmen that I had directly talked to or read their memoirs or so forth always commented that they were always afraid of the women because they were just so aggressive and so violent. And when you look at the perpetrators, there were only eight women ever charged. So that's less than 2% of the perpetrators. So there's clearly a a dark figure uh, in terms of the number of perpetrators and who they were. But in my analysis of of these trials, I ended up breaking down um, the perpetrators into different groups, six main groups. So what you got civilians, police officials, uh, security forces, which would be SS, SDSA, party officials, military personnel, and then state officials that weren't necessarily part of the party. They might be like local local leaders or something like that. But definitely civilians represented the largest group of perpetrators. Uh, but they were far more likely to be involved in assaults, and security forces were, were most likely to be involved in, in executions. That was very clear. I wanted to ask you about sources. I mean, the trials are great sources for this. And you have a really interesting appendix at the back of the book that goes into, you know, chronicling some of this for readers that are interested. But, you know, with the idea with some of these crimes, you know, it's so easy to cover things up or destroy documents. And people certainly probably don't want to admit to a lot of these acts. So what sources did you find most valuable outside of the trials themselves? And and what were some of the research challenges that you faced in this project? Yeah, it was it was quite difficult. And the trials actually offered the best the evidence because they included, you know, witness and perpetrator statements, medical examiner reports, profiles of criminals and occasionally even uh, crime scene photos. But it all, all depended on how well the documents were preserved, archived countless times. I would open up a case file and it'd be empty or be missing documents. And just over the years, things disappeared. Somebody forgot to put it where it should belong. And I'm sure, you know, that's everybody's probably experienced that. And it's extremely frustrating. But um, I decided to use escape and evasion reports. So these would be reports written uh, by downed airmen after they would return. These were very insightful. And as, as well as, you know, airmen's memoirs and interviews, in order to gain a better understanding of the hostile environment in which these down airmen found themselves in. And during the war, there was apparently a set of German files. They were known as the Terror Flyer files, Terrorfliegerakte, and they supposedly recorded just every or every single case of Lynchistitz. And I attempted to track these down in Germany and the U.S., and unfortunately, I was not successful. I was able to track down a, a few files that they were charred remnants of files and weren't even full files that, that probably belonged to, to this larger group of documents, but it's hard to know for certain. But I, I still have hope that I or someone will discover these, um, you know, perhaps misidentified in an archive or hidden in a long forgotten egg. You hear about these things all the time when people find random documents when they're renovating a house in Germany or something. So there's there's hope. <laughs> so I found it really fascinating that some memorials to these allied air crews have been constructed in Germany. And so talk to us for a minute about what you think the legacy of these events are for us today. And why is it important, you know, kind of to bring this to light now? Yeah. So there, there continues to be monuments dedicated to, to airmen that were executed here in Germany and Austria. The most recent one that I know of uh, was dedicated last year, in fact, um, in Wolfsburg, 
Germany for an American bomber pilot who was executed in June of 1944. For the war generation in Germany, the lynching of airmen often remained an open secret in the villages and communities where the incidents occurred. The war often remained a rather undesired topic to discuss pu publicly, as many individuals felt that they were victims of the aerial attacks. And while the, the continual discovery of bombs during construction projects is a recurring reminder of the Nazi past and the persistent influence of air war on present-day Germany, the constant disruptions and inconvenience to normal life still have not really facilitated a significant change in the limited discourse of Lindsay's With that said, though, you know, the younger generations are becoming more interested in not only their family history, but in their local history. And communities are gradually becoming more willing to discuss this, to, to publicly discuss this topic. Although there are relatively few monuments, uh, given the large number of, of airmen that were mistreated and executed, they still assist in, in bringing the topic to light, um, can help identify boundaries of radicalization, war, in hopes of not only understanding the nature of dictatorial terror and evil, but also the complex relationship between what historian Richard Overy termed the, the bombers and the bombed. Most of all, the memorials will hopefully help prevent similar escalations in the future, too, of course. Well, this is fascinating. You know, Brian and I were talking before the show about, you know, we read a lot of World War II books. And we love almost all of them, but uh, it's really rare to see one that truly adds something so new to the conversation as I think this one did. So uh, I just want to thank you again for being on the show. Yeah, thank, thank you for having me. Yeah, and for those uh, listening, the title again is Terror Flyers, The Lynching of American Airmen in Nazi Germany by Kevin T. Hall from Indiana University Press. Uh, thanks for being on the show. And uh, so that's all the time we have. Brian, where can we find your work online if people want to follow up? So you can find me on my personal website, uh, www.brianlastly.com. And always the best way to find me is on Twitter at Brian Lastly. Mike, what about yourself? Well, I'm at mwhankins.com. I'm on Twitter at Hankenstein, spelled with a T-I-E-N. And all of us are online at balloonstodrones.com. Our music was created by Jason Davis at Digital Fish Media, which you can find on Facebook at digitalfishmedia.org. Uh, please send us an email or submit an article for publication via the Balloons to Drones contact pages. Thank you all, and we will see you next time.